So we're doing CP angle and temporal bone, and we're working in this area here at 7 and 8. This afternoon, we'll come back to this down around the condyles at 9, 10, and 11, and you see 12 here in front of 11. Um, there are a lot of talk about approaching cerebellar peduncles today, and uh, here is fourth ventricle, and what part of the peduncular mass makes up the part of the peduncle that faces the fourth ventricle? If you're dealing with cavernoma in this medial part of the peduncular mass that faces the fourth, all of that is made up of superior, or what peduncle is this? Inferior. So for lesions in superior or inferior peduncle, we commonly come through the lateral recess or fourth. For a lesion in the middle cerebellar peduncle that is lateral facing the cisterns, we commonly come in retrosigmoid from lateral, and this is flocculus. I used to be able to ask a thousand surgeons in a meeting what that was, and not a single person who had looked in the CT angle dozens of times really looked at the flocculus, but it's an important landmark in CP angle. And we build this on this complex on three arteries, SCA, ICA, PICA. And we talked about that bone flap that we turn, and here's transverse sigmoid sinus. Here's the asterion right here, and it usually sets over the junction of the transverse and sigmoid usually over the lower half of that junction, and the burr hole that we make is usually just a little medial and below, just behind the occipital mastoid suture that runs down, and then eventually crosses below the sigmoid sinus. So this is upper complex, SCA encircling midbrain, it dips into this fissure and supplies this tent-shaped surface that has the firmus at the upper side of it. And these arteries, as they come around the SCA, they dip into this cerebellar midbrain fissure where it has a series of hairpin turns. It's intertwined with the fourth nerve. And then it sends its branches down the superior peduncles and the dentate nucleus, the most common site of cerebellar hemorrhage. Here we've opened up the lingula of the vermis and the superior medullary velum. And what is this? Facial colliculus. And what is this bulging up from below? This is nodule bulging up with inferior medullary velum, and tela in which the plexus arises stretched around it. 
And if we open up a little bit more lateral to the nodule, you're seeing through the inferior medullary velum. That is the cranial pole of the tonsils. The flocculus and the nodule are connected. What connects them? The inferior medullary velum to complete that primitive flocculonodular lobe of the cerebellum. So this is flocculonodular lobe connected by the taper-thin velum. And often you see the cranial loop of the pica looping up between the velum and the tonsil in what we call the telovelotonsillar cleft around the cranial pole of the tonsil. So, and the SCA arises at midbrain level. It passes below three and four, above five, and with age, it often loops downward. It arises usually as a main trunk that divides into a rostral trunk to the vermis, a caudal trunk to the hemisphere, and any of these trunks can compress the trigeminal nerve here right adjacent the brain stem. That's the most common finding in a vascular decompression operation for trigeminal neuralgia. And when you sacrifice the superior petrosal veins or the tributaries to get to the trigeminal nerve, when you do the lateral infratentorial approach coming adjacent the superior petrosal sinus, always be careful to dissect out any trunks of superior cerebellar artery that may be uh, involved in the arachnoid binding the artery to the veins. Uh, I think a number of cases that are called venous infarction from taking the veins are actually arterial infarction from taking a trunk of the SCA. So be very careful in sacrificing these veins. Uh, here we come down now, we're looking at the CP angle here, where the petrosal surface folds around the lateral margin of the pons. And here we see seven arising at the lateral end of the sulcus between the pons and medulla, and slightly above the choroid plexus and flocculus hanging out lushka. And if you draw a line along, down along the origin of 9, 10, 11, and project that line up two or three millimeters, that's where seven enters the brainstem at the lateral end of the sulcus between the pons and medulla. And here we see 12 on the front of the <coughs> olive and 9, 10, 11 arising on the back of the olive. We see six arises in the medial part of the pontomedullary sulcus and five arises at mid-pontine level. So here's just CP angle, Lushka, seven, 
8, 9, 10, 11, you draw a line along the origin of these rutlets, go up two or three millimeters, and that's where 7 enters the brainstem in front of 8. And for the infraflocular approach, you come in this direction, behind 9, you look up, and you see 7 here, as the view makes it look like it's below 8, but it's really in front of 8. And just Ica rises at Pontine level, passes by what nerve? 6, then 7, then 8. Uh, and then it dip, dips into this cleft that we call the cerebellopontine fissure or angle. In the base of that cleft is the middle cerebellar peduncle, and then it supplies the surface that faces the back of the temporal bone. And here's what happens in trigeminal neuralgia. Normally, early in life, this SCR a arises at midbrain level and encircles the lower midbrain, but with age this artery loops downward and in trigeminal neuralgia we find it, often find it sitting here on top of the trigeminal nerve or looped down into the axilla of the trigeminal nerve. Here's seven and eight, the ICA's here, and Here's what can happen in hemifacial spasm. Here's seven, eight, choroid plexus, flocculus. You could have an ICA loop down here next to seven at the junction with the brainstem. Or in about half the cases, the pica will loop upward under seven and eight, and then it'll pass downward and it then passes dorsally someplace between 9 and the rootlets of 11. It could be past dorsal. Here it looks like it's below between 10 and 11 that it passes then dorsally to the nerves. But uh, it could be any place between 9 and 11. Uh, just looking at porous, we see 7, 8, we see subarcuate artery, labyrinthine artery, facial nerve in the infraflocular position, lushka. We drill off the meatus. To drill off the meatus, you usually have to sacrifice the subarcuate artery, but it ends blindly in bone. In about half the cases, the ICA will loop into the porous. And here we've opened the dura. We see eight, seven, and rootlets of intermedius. They, sometimes the ICA can loop all the way to the fundus. And here we're looking in from the back. And this is Bill's bar. Superior vestibular, the inferior vestibular, cochlear, facial, and 
enter medius. So now, if you drill lateral to the porous of the meatus, you can, if the pathology goes into the vestibule or the canals and hearing is lost, you can drill all the way lateral into the vestibule. And what is this? What is that prominence? Arcuate, and what canal is that? Superior, and this is the canal of the posterior fossa, the posterior canal, the canal of the middle fossa. What did I drill into here? Common cruise, the junction of the back end of the superior canal and the up end of the posterior canal. And you can drill into it then, common cruise, or you can get into the endolymphatic sac. Here we see the hiatus, and it sets in the dura on the back of the meatus. Someone or a lot of you are going to get a piece of rubber dam into the endolymphatic sac. Sigmoid comes down, and then what turns up? under the labyrinth in the infralabyrinthine position. The jugular bulb sets here. So that here we see the hiatus of the endolymphatic sac. It sets in the dura here in the hook of the sigmoid. Uh, when you expose, if you're wanting to avoid it, why you can feel the endolymphatic sac in this area, the dura, if you feel through the dura, the dura is going to get a little softer. And then this area under the labyrinth, if you drill this out, you see the jugular bulb here in the infralabyrinthine position uh, so that we've exposed the jugular bulb here. It can even extend into the posterior lip of the meatus. And this is the this is a the vestibular nerves. What nerve? Cochlear, facial, and the canals are here, and below the fundus of the meatus, the lap vestibule opens into the cochlea that sets here adjacent this lateral bend of the petrous carotid. Uh, and it sets in that cochlear angle. Uh, so here we've drilled out the labyrinth, uh, and the vestibule opens below the fundus into the cochlea. And this is going to be facial Bill's bar superior vestibular, the inferior vestibular, and this is the singular branch of the inferior vestibular that innervates the ampulla of the posterior canal. And what canals does the superior innervate? The superior and lateral canal ampulla, and this is the oval window in which the stapes sets. So 
you're looking at the fundus of the right meatus, Bell's bar, transverse crest, facial, superior vestibular, inferior vestibular, and cochlear, singular foramen for the branch of the inferior vestibular that goes to the posterior canal ampulla. Now, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about fourth ventricle and what subdivision of vermis is this? Uvula. It's like EMT when you say, ah, the uvula hangs down between the tonsils. And in the past, when we went to fourth ventricle, we split the vermis, but that can cause a mutism syndrome, especially in children and young people. Uh, and we found that if we retract the tonsil, you see the inferior half of the fourth is made up of the inferior medullary velum that sweeps from the nodule to the flocculus and the telochoroidea in which the choroid plexus arises. And here we've opened the tela that forms the lower half of the roof of the fourth. Uh, and that gives a view all the way up to the aqueduct. Here's the paper-thin velum that sweeps lateral to attach to the flocculus so that if we have a lesion in the fourth, we don't split the vermis. We go here adjacent to the uvula. You retract the tonsils and you see the tela and the velum. And you can get in off to one side of the uvula. Here we see tela and velum. And you open the tela, you have a view all the way up to the aqueduct. If you need access to the superolateral recess or the uh, part of the peduncular mass made up of the superior and inferior peduncle, you can divide the velum and that gives access to the superolateral recess. And then if the pathology extends out the lateral recess, uh, the lateral recess is roofed by velum and tela, and all you have to do to open the lateral recess is elevate the tonsil, open the tela from Bajande to Lushka, and you have access to all of the lateral recess. Here's Lushka behind nine adjacent the flocculus. So for pathology in the fourth, uh, we use telovelar approach. It's become common in pediatric neurosurgery for fourth ventricular tumors. The only time I split a vermis today is if the tumor is in the vermis. And here we see the floor of the fourth, the median sulcus. And then here is is that hypoglossal or vagal triangle? Hypoglossal and then below, vagal and then below, area 
post-trema that gives this area a pen nib appearance and late to it being called a calamus scriptorius. So here we've just we've opened the tela. Does anyone know what this is? That's dorsal cochlear nucleus. They actually put the brainstem implant in the lateral recess. Just below this is ventral cochlear nucleus. And I think they try to set it right on the junction of the two. Some people do it from lateral through Lushka. Yeah. Uh, if the brainstem is real distorted with a tumor, I know some people come back down here and go lift up the tonsil and open the lateral recess and stick it in from below if the brainstem is real distorted. Here we just see a view of all of this area. This is the uvula, the nodule of the vermis. Here's the inferior medullary velum that sweeps laterally and caps the tonsil. But often these trunks of the pica run between the velum and the cranial pole of the tonsil. And anytime you're dealing with cranial pole of the tonsil, you want to stay out of the dentate nucleus that wraps around that cranial pole of the tonsil just above the inferior medullary velum. And then the veins that you want to watch for down at 9, 10, 11 are these inferior petrosal veins. And they're often mixed in with these nerves. And whenever I elevate a cerebellum, I look for these because if you stretch them and tear them and you get a clot around 9 and 10 and you're putting in cotinoids and bipolar, it's easy to damage these nerves. So if I see these veins and I'm going to stretch them, then I usually protect the nerves and just bipolar it and get it out of the way. Thank you.